Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And a new boss daddy. Yeah. Glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) That is the, what, like, is it interim chief business officer or senior VP of acting interim interim. almost chief business officer senior vice president. You need one more adjective there. (laughs) (laughs) So that voice, that voice right there is Earl Roberson. All right. So Earl, how, how long have you been at Lifeway now for? Six years, six and a half years. All right. And if you've ever been to Student Life, that's where you were beforehand running that? I was at Student Life and uh, before coming to Lifeway in 2012, was the COO at, at Student Life. Yeah. I can remember meeting him within five minutes. I walked over to Eric Geiger. I was like, who is that guy? We got it. <laughs> He's like, I was thinking the same thing. I said the same thing about Trevor Wax too, because when um, Eric brought me in to interview, he had me go to lunch with uh, with Faith Watley, who's been on the podcast before, uh, Trevin Wax, and I want to say another guy named Michael Kelly. And basically, he set me up because he made me he he like got me all the 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 sharp people that I would love to be around. And I walked back and I was like, Hey, can I have Tre- if I come? Can I have Trevin? <laughs> He's like, no, I've got other plans for him. I actually liked Todd Atkins so much, we moved in across the street from him. <laughs> that is true. You can uh, you can put my car in reverse and it will and not touch the steering wheel and it will back into Earl's driveway. And so my wife Missy and I are helping raise their fifteen kids. Yes, it's very true. <laughs> yes. We just turn them loose. Yeah, every year they put out a kid. So <laughs> there you go. Well. <laughs> All right. Let's okay. Go. So today we are going to be continuing our book breakdown. Cue the music, leadership, and the one minute manager. All right. Oh. So this is a classic. Yes. Man, Ken Blanchard, he's written what, 60 books? Know. It's just, you know, for him, it's probably one book every year. <laughs> he's learned how to write. Yeah. And if you don't know this, he's a believer. He is. So, I mean, you know, you can probably read that into his books as you read them. Uh, at least that he has that perspective and worldview. Yeah. So let's get started with the book breakdown. The first question is, what is the book and why does it matter? So, you know, leadership, the one minute manager for me is, is it's a spiritual leadership book. And it's a reminder that leaders are to adjust their leadership styles to the needs and the uniqueness of the people they give leadership to. I was, uh, I first came across this book. Now I'd been familiar with the concept uh, around situational leadership in which this book talks about. But when I came to Lifeway a few years ago, there was a, uh, not a reading club, right? We, (laughs) we, we tried to figure out what the term was. I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a reading club. So Earl takes the, um, I don't even know how to say this. Let me interrupt you guys. Let me let me rescue you. So, yeah, what is the definition? proper way to say yes. this? So, Lifeway Leadership hosts twelve meetings in a year with with emerging leaders. Emerging and those, leaders. Those That's leaders are appointed by uh, by directors um, in in our division, and those are high potential, highly promotable, really the best leaders that we have. Right, and they're typically 
young in their expertise, young in their craft, young in their skill, and they haven't been at Lifeway very long. And we we take them and we brainwash them um, for for twelve <laughs> months. Should no, actually we we choose uh, twelve leadership books, and the first book that we read together in a rotation is Leadership and the One Minute Manager. Mm. And we actually kickstart that entire program <clears throat> and that content schedule with the thought that leadership is not about you. It's about those that that um, you, you give leadership to and, and their needs and how everybody is wired very uniquely and uh, how individuals need different types of leadership styles. Yeah, so it was neat f- to actually sit down and read through the book, through that program and get a broader context. Now, immediately it was like, okay, their margins are massive. <laughs> There's a few pages that only have one or two sentences on them, but it was neat to just slowly process through it and, and hear the, the, the bigger context around it. And in a sense, there's not even really any chapters to the book either. They're just topics, a lot of topics where it's narrative in form, yes. but you're able to just grasp the idea around it. Mm-hmm. And our listeners know I hate narrative, but this one <laughs> I would be like, yeah, you need to you need to take a look at this, a hard look at it. I, it really is situational leadership. So that word is, or those words are tossed around a lot. Like, what is situational leadership? And you know, I think what he, the way he frames it out is, it's something you do with people, not to people. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes we have a. Um, we, we want to put a framework over top people. And I know that's shocking for people to hear me say because I love frameworks and I love to put people in quadrants. But that is a starting place from which you want to engage with that person. It's it's just to give me a clear starting point so that I can move forward. And this book does a really good job of that as well, being uh, allowing you to have a playbook kind of to pull from for different situations yeah, and, so, and, and different types of leaders. Yeah, so later on in the podcast, when we get to the question, how is this applicable to leadership in the church, we'll actually give you and walk through the situational leadership model, the developmental, and the all the styles in and around that. But before we get there, let's start with our book, Quick Hitter. So who is the author? We've already talked about him a little Can't bit. I was looking him up. Uh, he. So I didn't realize this. He's actually this chief spiritual officer of his company. He started the company with his wife. Yeah. I was like, what? Chief spiritual officer? (laughs) I told you so. Yeah. He's a believer. So I wonder if that's, you know, how long that. It's got to be. I I wonder how long it has been there. Right. And what that actually means. Or if we should have him on the podcast. (laughs) Let's try to get him on the podcast. Yeah. And no, six, really. over 60 books, author, speaker, consultant. So that's a little bit of who he is. So who, who do you guys think this book is written for in its original intention and also in its application? I think the book's written for pastors. I think the book's written for C-suite leaders mm-hmm. uh, in any you know business sector uh, enterprise. I think the book is written for new leaders who <clears throat> have a new assignment to govern and steward people and their gifts and, and, and work. It really spans um, a lot of different spaces, and it certainly spans generation. And um, uh, it's it is, I think, perfect for the church. Kim Blanchard. I met Kim Blanchard for the first time fifteen years ago or so at an event where he was a keynote speaker. Met him backstage. <clears throat> I was introduced to him, and he is the real deal. He is mm-hmm. very authentic, very intentional with people. 
very clear and very articulate, but he's also a very good listener. And okay. uh, he would be a great addition to this this podcast. But, um, you know, this this book for me is is actually a milestone read. We all have those books that sit on our shelves and, and we treat them like encyclopedias and we go back to them based on the different yeah. phases of life that we, we go through. And leadership and the one manager is one of those books for me. That's I would, awesome. I would say it doesn't matter, you know, where you are um, in the, the course of your leadership journey, whether you are new or you're seasoned, if you haven't, you know, yet come across this book, it's one that is well worth your time. And if you're like, oh, yeah, I remember having to read that or I remember reading that years ago, I would challenge you to dig it out mm -hmm. um, off your shelf or purchase it again if you've, you know, passed it along. Um, it is a book that I've passed along again and again and again, uh, so much so that I've probably gone through a couple of different copies now where, you know, you add your notes to it and then it walks off. Um <laughs> And you have to go back and do it again, but it's it's one that's that good. Yeah. So let's get to our favorite quotes from the book. Roll, you want to start us off? One of my favorites, there is nothing so unequal as the equal treatment of unequals. Hmm. And again, going back to the uniqueness of people and that leadership is not about you and your giftings, whether you're strategic and directional or supportive and listening, leadership is about uh, the needs of, of those that... Um, that report to you, and um, and and again, the clarity they need, the resources they need, and and how really all of us go through different levels of development. Going back to the construct of situational leadership, which is important for all of us. That so, doesn't sound fair, Earl. <laughs> Read that quote again. There is nothing so unequal as the equal treatment of unequals. Mm. It just doesn't sound fair. Yeah, well, it's that last, it's those no, last no, two words I'm, of unequal. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I was pretending to be a millennial there, <laughs> Daniel. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, so I get this, and we're going to be walking through the situational leadership model and how that works on a one-to-one -one level. But how does this work in a team context when you're leading a team and even in meetings where you just have everyone who are, I guess, unequals <laughs> and individually you're going to relate to them differently? How do you, how do, you do that as a team together? Well, so if, you know, according to the, the author, according to Blanchard, leadership style is how you behave when you're trying to influence someone's well-being or their performance. And he actually you know, says in a, in a particular construct in the book, there are four different uh, or basic leadership styles. One is directing, one is coaching, one is supporting, and one is delegating. If you are directing on that side of the spectrum or the continuum, then you are actually being very prescriptive, being very specific uh, in terms of, of action, thought, decisions, problem solving, troubleshooting, and you're really managing the day-to-day -day of the employee and the employee <clears throat> or the leader um, is, is uh, super committed and super motivated, but not yet competent to work on their own. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it, you know, in, in that phase, oftentimes that's a new leader in a new space and a new context. Um, and then if you move, you know, through that continuum to, you know, we call D4 or delegating, then... That's all the way on the um, other side. That is, right. that is on the opposite side. And that is somebody who is highly independent, um, highly competent, highly committed, highly motivated, and somebody you don't have to spend a lot of time with as a leader 
they're basically coming to you prescribing action, strategy, tactical plans, operational excellence. And you as a leader are just trying to figure out a way to resource them mm. and, and block down field for them because they know exactly what to do and when to do it. So would you say that teams as a unit, as a whole, could also, you, as a leader, you would actually approach the entire team through one of those approaches as well? Uh, like collectively yeah, as a team? Because I get yeah, how it works individually, but... Sure. I Yeah, I think teams, you know, our team, for example, is is super comp- competent and, and you guys are a part of that team. Our team fluctuates between three and four okay. on that spectrum. And Todd Atkins is a perfect example. I work directly with Todd. <laughs> and <clears throat> Todd is a maniac, but <laughs> Todd is a D4. And so in the space of leadership, Todd gives leadership to uh, Lifeway's voice, uh, on on pastoral leadership and and just the discipline of leadership itself, I don't have to tell Todd what to do. Todd already knows what to do, how to do it, when to do it, what to say, and and Todd is is self sufficient really without me. And it is super nice uh, for a leader to have a bunch of D fours on your team, and we do. Hmm. The worst thing that you can do is once somebody understands this, once a leader understands this. Uh, is is for your leader to ask you, do I need to D1 you? <laughs> uh, because, you know, a, a, a D1 is is that straight delegation. Um, uh, I mean, some people like might, this, might know, see D1 as micromanagement, right? Oh, it because it is. Yeah. <laughs> because it is. Um, and, you know, that's the worst question. Do I need to D1 you on this? Hmm. <laughs> Um, and you know, or, um, Joe Torre, your boys, uh, is what I think, um, Jay-Z or, um, our former friend. He's not our former friend. He's not our former friend. friend. Yeah. Uh, Eric, if he was on the podcast, he would, he would definitely have, have quoted that. Uh, and he may have asked me before if I needed to be D1'd on something. Mm -hmm. If I didn't, if I was not getting something done and accomplished, um, over the course of a given time frame, it, it would be, but he knew that was, he was going to motivate me by that because I'm a D4 and yeah. that would really be. That's good. Oh, <laughs> it, you don't want to hear that. So you have that spectrum of, you know, leadership styles that Kim Blanchard then <clears throat> says, you know, they're, they're a combination of, of leadership behaviors and it's, you know, either, um, you know, directed behavior or it's supportive behavior. And in directive behavior, just as Todd, just as Todd shared, it is uh, you, the leader, are being, you're providing structure, you're providing organization, you're providing um, all the teaching, all the supervision. And, and actually, the book talks about micromanagement. And, you know, at times, micromanagement is leadership. Sometimes leadership is micromanagement. Um, and, and sometimes micromanagement carries a stigma that none of us, none of us want. But if you have to be super directional uh, with someone, actually that means you're you're providing them clarity, and all leaders right. want clarity. Well, even if we go back to uh, you know a nine box performance over potential um, framework, where you have you know potential going up on the side, somebody may have a ton of potential, but if they're new in their role, of course you're going to have to start out. Um, with a lot of directive, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's going to naturally shift over the course of time to supportive. But that shouldn't go on for a lengthy period of time yeah. at all. 
That's good. Uh, one of my about. favorite quotes is about the seagull. Oh, we're talking about quotes. Yeah, we That's are. Right. Seagull <laughs> management. Seagull management. Uh, oh. So here's the broader, broader quote. Without effective day-to-day coaching, especially for people who can't provide their own direction and support, goal setting becomes a license for managers to use the leave alone zap leadership style. And then he goes on to say that the leave alone zap leadership style is seagull management. After goal setting, seagull managers are never around until you make a mistake. Then they fly in, make a lot of noise, dump on everybody and fly out. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting. I mean, what I love about this book And the D1 to D4, S1 to S4, the entire framework is it helps individuals. And and if you're a leader and and you get this and you're like, well, yeah, I I wouldn't have used that language, but I do manage and lead people differently. What I love about this framework is that now it gives you something to uh, hang your hat on. It gives you someone to something to teach others, especially if it's intuitive to you, because a lot of people who may not have as much experience as you, especially if you're intuitively doing this, uh, may actually just lead the way that they've been led. And maybe it's a lot of seagull management. And they're just like, well, it worked for me. So this, why doesn't it work for you? And if you treat everyone the same, you're obviously going to get varying results for all those that you manage. Well, it's also a good reminder that leadership is a progression. And so there is, <clears throat> as a leader, there's a, there's a trajectory, there's, <clears throat> there's a path that you want to lead your employees through. And that starts with the, the different, different leadership styles. And then the book moves towards... Uh, you know, leadership behaviors and talks about, you know, competence and, and being motivated and commitment, uh, which are which are equally important. Hmm. Um, the I, I kind of want to go back to the quote that I haphazardly already mentioned, which is situational leadership is something you do is not something you do to people, but something you do with people. Mm. Um, yeah, because, you know, at least for me, that's what I have a tendency to do is put somebody through a framework and then go, okay, what am I going to, what do I need to do? I do say, what do I need to do with this person? But, you know, it can become, uh, a tool can become a crutch, you know, just as easily. And so it's important to understand the values of the organization, the mission of the organization uh, as well, just to, just to be able to embed that. Because another quote I like is, you can expect more if you inspect more. Mm. And I tell people what I expect by what I inspect. Mm. And so those are levers that you can pull, you know, to help manage what the actual culture is. And culture is, of course, shared behavior. That's good. That's good. I love, I love uh, this, this quote in particular. Everyone is a potential high performer. Some people just need a little help along <clears throat> the way. And that's why... And, and then once you identify this and understand that everyone is a potential high performer, walking them through D1 to D4, S1, S4, and then actually I, we can talk about this a little bit later, what it looks like to push someone back if need be. And do you, if they are a D4, do you go straight to D1 or do you actually go D3 and then D2, D1 after that? So, Well, and to take that a step further, if you have someone who's a perpetual D1, mm. Kim Blanchard's very clear. You have to move them off the bus. Mm. It's actually cruel to keep someone in a D1 quadrant for, for a sustained period of time. Right. It's cruel. Yeah. It's cruel for them. Yeah. And it certainly impacts the work and the mission and, 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 and the team itself. So it's a good reminder for us that <clears throat> if we cannot successfully move people from D1, D2 to D3 and D4, 
uh, that requires leadership action as well. Yeah. All right. I'm going to move us forward. What are similar books? Five Dysfunctions of a Team uh, by Lencioni. I mean, anything Lencioni <clears throat> popped up to me because of the narrative style. But this, yeah. but the Five Dysfunctions of a Team came up in particular because there was a lot of the team dynamics going on in and throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say Covey has the Seven Habits one. Uh, I think he's got a similar quadrant. I mean, I'm not talking about the time management quadrant. Um, it may be a different Covey book. The first one that comes to mind for me is Talent is Overrated oh, by Jeffrey Colvin. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And Which is another one of the books in Emerging Leaders. It is. We, so. we broke that one down already. Yeah. Information, knowledge is not enough. <clears throat> and the book talks about um, deliberate practice. Mm-hmm in order to master your your skill and, and your craft and the leadership that, that goes along with that. So okay, good. it's good. And uh, is this a summary? Skim, sit down, listen? What do you think, girl? I think it's a summary. I mean, this is, this book is a hundred pages. Yeah. And you can read it in 30 minutes. Yeah. Right. No, it's not, it's, it's a hundred pages, but it's not like a hundred full pages. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Large so font. Itself yeah. is a summary, guys. You have no excuse. To <laughs> Large senior adult font for Todd Atkins. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can, I mean, this is not, I can read it on, on a plane. I can, I can read it while we're waiting to board. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. After I get su- through security, I can sit down and read this <laughs> yeah. before we board. Yeah. It's definitely not a listen because you want to see the charts. No, that's right. For yeah, sure. But it's worth it just for the charts. Yeah, it is. All right. So before we get to the heart of this episode, which is how this is applicable to leadership in the church, just a brief word from our sponsor for today. Is marriage ministry stressing you out? Woo Marriage is here to help. This brand new tool from Lifeway provides Christ-centered marriage coaching for every couple in your church. Backed by research and design with your church in mind, Woo Marriage provides a plan for your marriage ministry with video courses for all seasons of marriage. There are courses for communication, managing finances, handling conflict, and more. So whether you need per, you know, help to prepare couples for marriage, strengthen marriages, or restore relationships, you can learn more by going to woomarriage.com slash free trial. And if you use the offer code leadership when you check out, you'll get a free month. That's woomarriage.com slash free trial. All right. So we're back and let's hit how this is applicable to leadership in the church. Oh. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should, so, we, we talked about the situational leadership model. Maybe we should talk about the, the, the model first, especially for our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about. Okay. Good. Yeah, I yeah mean, go for it. Okay. So yeah. guys, this is a quadrant. <laughs> I'm so excited. Todd's love language. It's based on competence <laughs> and confidence. Yes. And, you know, you're, you're moving, instead of thinking of moving someone uh, left to right, it really starts out with right to left. Mm-hmm. So if you were, you know, viewing it, visualizing it in front of you. Um, and, and we'll make and sure to have a doing, graphic in the oh, show Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do a link to it. I think I, think I may have done a 90-second on this one. Mm-hmm. And if so, we'll drop it in there because that, that could be really helpful if you want to use it before a staff meeting or whatever. But you're really taking someone on that journey through all four phases. You're moving them from really developing to fully developed. 
And so D1 represents you're developing that person. D4 really represents that person is now developed. And what's in the middle is that, you know, person that's moderately developed. They're they're onboarded, if you will. They're contributing well. Um, it's just a question of where they're at. Now, the problem is most of the time we leave people in that kind of muddled middle and we don't fully give them what they need to move them forward. Why? Because, as we would say, um, development is really an overlap of knowledge, experience, and coaching. And the coaching piece is what's most important to this model because situational leadership, guys, is coaching. So one of the things that's really important is to understand where, you know, what a D4 looks like so that you can help coach someone to get to that standpoint. Is that what you were looking for, Daniel? Yeah, definitely. So those are the developmental levels, right? right. And then we have the leadership styles, which is which we've referenced here. S1 is directing, S2 is coaching, S3 is supporting, S4 is delegating. So, man, you have to look this up. I mean, just <laughs> go to the show notes. You're going to you're going to see it and you're going to see competence on one side, commitment on the other, and it's going to sh- just make a lot of sense. So, let's let's with that in mind, uh, let's ask a few questions. Okay, let's say you're leading your team and you have an individual who is maybe S4, highly competent in one area of ministry that they are leading, but not very competent in another area. Is that like, do you do you treat them differently based on this framework? So same person, but they're at different levels. Do you treat them differently based on that? What does that look like uh, when you're meeting with them one-on-one? Yeah, I go back to... <clears throat> a different book, The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins. And you think about the four stages that that a team, that a business, that an organization or church goes through. Number one is startup. Number two is realignment, uh, sustaining success, and then turnaround. And uh, in a startup or, or in a sustaining success season, everybody's having a great time. You're in growth. Things are fun. Hard decisions don't have to be made. But in the latter two, uh, that requires a different level of stewardship, a different level of urgency and intensity, certainly painful decisions and adjustments. And then in a turnaround, uh, that guys, that is that is super hard work and um, and the burden is is really great, great for a team. And oftentimes you can have a group of of you know D3s and D4s, highly competent people, but then when they move from a season of, of, of a startup or sustaining success to either realignment or it's a game changer. It's a game changer for the most competent people in the building. And, um, you know, it ratchets up intensity, complexity, volume, and those sorts of things. And so leaders who previously have been able to scale and navigate volume and complexity suddenly could be choking on it. Hmm. And that does require the leader to intervene and come alongside a D3 or a D4 to help them succeed. If you don't do that, it could be failure for the team. Hmm. That's, that, that's, that's good. So even if they are already operating at that highly competent level, if you, depending on what the church or what the organization is going through, Mm -hmm. you might actually have to give them an extra level of support. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Now, do you think the leader would understand that's why you're coming alongside them? Or is that? I have leaders actually ask for that. Oh, okay. Okay. So because our team have really, um, we're, we're a very dynamic, very diverse uh, team and stewarding a lot of different global and international ministries. 
And those those brands uh, are in different seasons. Yeah. And uh, we have some brands that are just starting and they're new in the marketplace. And uh, those are new offerings to churches. And then we have others who have been around for 30 and 40 years. And um, because of those different seasons, it, it I believe it requires different different levels of leadership, situational leadership. And those leaders with humility, you know, oftentimes walk into my office and ask uh, for strategic insight, for for resources, for um, best practice and all those types right. of things. And so it's it's a great opportunity for a leader to actually lean in, not from a micromanagement perspective, but from a resourcing perspective, um, because the leader oftentimes in those moments does not have the answers. Okay, so I would say those leaders can be led that way because they have been led that way, meaning those leaders have enough trust mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. um, that they feel like they can do that. So what if I'm listening to this and I'm not in that situation? What would you say to that person? I would say <clears throat> the best leaders I've ever been around, regardless of their IQ and their experience and their skill set, ask for internal and external voices to speak into their work. The best leaders are collaborative leaders that don't sit in silos and don't allow just their experiences or their expertise to inform the work. They allow other people to do that. And do you think they got to that because it was modeled for them? Or you think maybe they just could... They, they weren't, they, they never became as good as they did because they didn't have that. I mean, what do you think the origin of that is? I, I think in, in our case, and I'll speak on behalf of our team. So the, you know, the two things that Kim Blanchard mentions define performance uh, for, for a leader or for an employee are, Todd's already said it, competence um, and, and commitment. And uh, competence, according to the book, is a function of, of knowledge and skill. Um, it's not another word for ability. And some people confuse competence and ability. Mm. Um, those, those two words are not interchangeable. They're actually two different things. Competence um, is actually something that needs to be developed and needs to be matured and needs to be grown. And it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, whereas natural ability or potential is something that God engineered you with. And it's something that you're just, you're, you're born with. Um, and so leaders can influence competence um, every day, you know, in our interaction with, with those that we give leadership to. And that's important in a church context or, um, you know, if you play for the Atlanta Braves, it's, 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 right. it's important in your relationship with your coach. So, um, yeah. So, so what I love about this is obviously within a staffing, within a team context where you're in the office together. I mean, this is a great thing to bring about to your team to talk about if you're managing others to use in your one-on-ones to develop others. But when it comes to the local church and let's say you have your ushers, 
or your <clears throat> children's ministry teachers or your volunteers here and there. I would also, I mean, everything we do at Lifeway Leadership is helping churches and, you know, helping you equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? right? It's serving the church and our mission of making disciples and of multiplying and of equipping and of developing leaders. So in light of all that, when it comes to your volunteers, the next time you take them out for coffee or you're encouraging them before the service or you see something that they've done really well, instead of, uh, instead of just pointing out their mistakes, encourage and help move them along the way based on things that they have done well and have those in the moment coaching times because it might be difficult to have coffee conversations with right. every single one of your volunteers. Uh, another thing I'll add, Guys, I have an 11-year-old daughter, and she is a great student. She's well-read. She's caring. She's compassionate. She's athletic. She is her mom. She's not, she's not her dad. Mm-hmm. And one of my jobs, one of the biggest things I can do for my 11-year-old daughter is to build her confidence as her dad. And anything I do to hurt her confidence, man, I've— it. Um, I've, I've really got to evaluate that. Now, with your employees, it's the same. You have to build their confidence uh, in their skill, in their craft, in the space that they're in. You want them to have a self-assuredness that oftentimes when they're new, they just don't have. And, uh, or when the environment or the climate changes, when you move from one season uh, to another, when you move from uh, sustaining success to realignment mm. uh, per the book, First 90 Days, you will have a very competent leader that suddenly is in a place where they're not completely confident. And it's your responsibility as a leader to help build that confidence. Yeah. And and I would say, you know, for some of those listening that, you know, haven't ever experienced a leader do that for them, it does not mean that you can't do that for someone else. So, you know, we say that about development and discipleship. Well, I don't know because it was never done for me or it was never modeled for me. Well, I just think this gives us a a really good framework to be able to do that for someone else and, you know, kind of be the first part of a new cycle, a new uh, shift in your organization. And you can do that whatever level that you're that you're in. Yeah. So we've referenced first 90 days and we've referenced different situations. So as we, I mean, this is part of, um, it's, it's a little bit of what we talk about when we do our leadership pipeline coaching. And one of the examples that often comes up is, and I'd love your, your, all all your thoughts on this. I'm a new leader, new pastor, new, you know, come into the church and there's this person who is leading the woman's ministry or the men's ministry or some sort of ministry of the church. And it is their thing, right? It is like, they have been doing it way longer than you and the previous pastor and the other pastor put it all together. (laughs) And this is their, I mean, and they are highly committed to the ministry and to leading and they think they're D4, right? They think they have high competence, but the thing hasn't grown. And it's just the old same playbook for the last 15 years, 10 years. And they think they're highly competent, but they're not. But they do have a high commitment. And you're trying to come in and trying to take this ministry to the next level. What do you do? Go. (laughs) How would you approach that? In that instance, it's not about uh, competence and confidence. It's about command and control. Or it's about... So you would D1 them? Oh, what if no, they, but, I'm trying they, to yeah. shift them. I'm trying to shift them that their identity is not 
this yeah. ministry, uh, their identity is in the people that they develop, and their identity is in the fruit of the ministry, you know, not the the ministry itself. Um, I think, and so okay, great, Todd. That was, you know, maybe that will tweet. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Now what? But now what? <laughs> like, what does that practically look like? So when we're in a pipeline setting, because that's the way you frame this up, yeah. we have this conversation over and over and over and over and over again, because those people exist. Yeah, in they do. Most churches. I mean, you know, that's the problem with the church. There's people in it. Otherwise, it'd be easy. Uh, so with that, I would say one of the things that you can do is invite them into the process because no matter how difficult or toxic or whatever this person is, uh, whatever label you want to put on them, they do have something to offer. Mm-hmm. They have, they do have knowledge. They do have history. They do have insight. And if there is some way to draw out part of that uh, and even, dare I say, celebrate it if possible in connection and um, in the shift of moving to something new, then we need to do that. So um, I'll often give the example of, you know, the head usher that, you know, was there for the last 30 years and he enjoyed being the head usher. His name uh, is real, so I can't mention it here. I usually mention it live though. Uh, But uh, so let's call him Bob. So Bob has been there and he was there when the church was like 300 people and now it's however many thousand people. And to, in Bob's mind, he is still the guy that's over that ministry and he wants everyone to wear suits. It doesn't matter that we've gone to a multi-campus model. It doesn't matter, whatever. I, in um, in really not... It, in honoring the legacy and what he has done there at the church for that long, um, I at least want to hear him out on some things and invite him into the process of, hey, yes, I understand this is what your position was called. Mm -hmm. I understand that, you know, you have been doing this for a long time, and now that we're moving to campuses, you, you have just made the assumption that you're the grand poobah of all ushers at all campuses. But that's not that's not what we're going to do here. Um, I don't know if that's helpful, but bringing him into that process and saying, hey, here's what we're uh, planning on doing, or hey, here's some things we're thinking about doing. How would you change this, or how would you shift this, or mm-hmm. what else do you think you would add, or you know, whatever, and walking with him through that process and not saying we're going to do everything that, Bob, you want to do, but we're at least inviting you into this process um, and trying to, you know, help you, help celebrate you. There's other situations where people say, well, how do we get people to go through the core competencies um, when they say we've been here for so long? Why would we have to go to training? Well, we want you to go to training so that you can speak into any tweaks or adjustments or whatever we make. We're going to roll that through with you first so that, you know, maybe you can help some other leaders along. Um, there's there's different ways to frame it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two practical suggestions. One, if this person is, is running template behavior based on just their experience, there's an opportunity for the church to go to this person to say, we want to come alongside you and help you with innovative, new, creative, fresh thinking and... Um, and and develop you in the space. 
even if they've been in a certain ministry for in a certain swim lane for for 30 or 40 years and i have seen churches do this actually really really well in the church context that i'm currently in has done this effectively and they send them to events or they plug them into you know online experiences where they see new behaviors new trends new best practices uh, that that really they've never been introduced to. It's very intentional, and that person typically responds really, really well, and and can can adopt um, new programs, new strategies, and 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 new tactics that can be effective today in 2019, uh, when when maybe some of the template behavior uh, was effective in 1978, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's good. It's, it's no longer what effective. Was the the second is, you know, the church might be in a position where they have somebody who was effective 30 years ago, but not effective today and does not have the ability to be effective right. today. And there might be a seat on the bus for that person in a different role based on their expertise, based on their experience, right. but they may not need to be the leader. Right. They may need to be um, a number two or in a, in a different role where somebody else is giving them leadership. Yeah, I, I really like that, especially in the church context when you're dealing with volunteers. It's not just a matter of, no, you're fired, yeah. but it's helping, having the conversation, discussing, giving them opportunities to learn, to develop, to capture new vision. And then in the end, maybe it is a matter of helping them find another seat that if you walk through that entire process with them, they're going to be more uh, understanding of rather than just coming in and being like, hey, and I've heard this before, right? Where it's like, hey, uh, we need our church to look younger so you can't be usher anymore. And they've been faithfully serving. And then two years later, they go back and they're like, actually, can you help? Because everyone else isn't as committed as you. <laughs> <laughs> what, no, seriously, legit, real story. What the book confronts <laughs> us, all of us with, regardless if you're a pastor or a leader in a different organization, is communicating with this person and coming alongside the person in a partnership to train and develop their skill sets and, uh, and again, move them through that trajectory where they become self-sustaining and, um, yeah. and high-performing. That's good. All right. So for the sake of time, we're going to go to our last question, which is okay. this week, what can you do? In light of this book, what is your encouragement for our listeners, something that they can do this very next week in light of the book? And we'll go around and do that. Uh, I would echo what he just wrapped up and, and the quote that I mentioned, just thinking about in each situation, am I doing this with someone or to someone hmm. that I'm leading? That would be, even if you can just go with or to, <clears throat> is okay. this with or to, um, and, and, uh, and saying, you know what, I'm going to make the time, you know, in three different situations this week. I'm going to take the time to coach someone through what happened. You know, we have um, we have these situational leadership cards that go along with all the levels of pipeline, um, and all that all those cards do is really give you a paragraph scenario, and then they give you uh, five questions to kind of walk through. And all those five questions walk through is the same thing that every training guide and grid walks through: general implication to personal implication um, to how do I apply this and. How am I going to implement this? So if it was, hey, we had to re remove a baby that was just absolutely losing it from the sanctuary. Okay, it's sitting down with that, you know, those ushers that were involved in that and like walking through step by step those kind of questions. 
Um, because what you're doing there is that coaching is is raising their level of of competency for the next time that happens. And hopefully you're also in doing that, you're also modeling what that is. So all those cards are designed to do is just give you a framework of questions so that when a real situation happens, you can actually practice situational leadership and be an effective coach. Yeah. Right. My recommendation is simple. Pray for your leaders. Hmm. Pray for their needs. Um, and, you know, as, as a leader, you know, we can talk about all these constructs and these leadership principles. And this is an excellent book with, with transferable, uh, transferable insight. We all are required to pray for those that, that, that we give leadership to. And um, as a pastor, uh, as, as a leader, that's really our most important assignment mm-hmm. is to be prayerful for those that, that God's given to us. I like that. I like that. Uh, for me, it would be, there's, he talks about smart goals and I, f- I feel like there's so many different ways that smart is defined out there, but I would say the situational leadership model is something that you need to wrestle through, think through, practice, grow in. But this week, I think you could look at every goal that you have as a team, as an individual, uh, something that your church is working toward and be like, hey, is it smart? And actually ask those questions. Is it specific? Is it motivating? Is it attainable? Is it relevant? Is it trackable? And have conversations around that. Then saturate the whole process in prayer together as uh, for your church, but also for uh, the goal that you're trying to hit. And yeah, submit it to the Lord. So... Thanks, Earl, for joining us on this book breakdown. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Now, if you haven't yet checked out churchcares.com, this is a brand new curriculum that we have come out with at uh, in partnership with a few other organizations, Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This is a curriculum that's designed to equip the church on how to respond well to the initial report of abuse. So this curriculum brings together top experts from various fields to help leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling handling variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or ministry. So if you're inside of the U.S., then you can text the word Church Cares to the number 888-111. That's the word Church Cares, one word, to the phone number 888-111. If you're outside of the U.S., you can just go to churchcares.com and take advantage of that curriculum for free. All right, we'll catch you guys next time.